You're listening to the Glenn Barrett Leadership Podcast. We know this will be an incredible resource for your life, so stay focused, listen up, and thanks for joining us. Hey everybody, Glenn Barrett here. Thanks for joining us for today's Leadership Podcast, wherever you are in the world. Really praying that God will speak to you through this podcast and really set you up for a new and exciting season in your life. This podcast is going to be in two parts. I'm often asked by people in interviews, what are my top tips for leadership? And even though this is a leadership podcast and we're going through many, many different subjects and a whole variety of things, I thought that over two podcast episodes, I would give you my top 10 tips for leadership. So the goal is in this one, we're going to do five. In the next one, we'll do five. And hopefully you're going to find a lot of practical insight and wisdom to help you in this next season of life that you find yourselves in. I'm going to be using the Bible as a bit of a launch pad to help me into this. And then we're going to look at some real practical tools on becoming a more effective leader. So that's the goal from these two podcasts. If we had the moment to look into Joshua chapter 9, maybe I can encourage you to do it. There's a fascinating story called the Gibeonite Deception. The Gibeonite Deception was basically the people of Gibeah who saw the people of God were advancing through the land and taking territory. The people of Gibeah, the Bible says, came up with a ruse in order to trick Israel into not fighting with them. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 9 that the Gibeonites put on some old clothes, got some old bags, old shoes, and some stale and moldy food, and they walked a very short distance towards the oncoming army. And they said to the Israelites, they said to Moses, they said to Joshua, sorry, they said, Joshua, we have come from a long, long way away. We want to be friends with you. And the Bible says that Joshua didn't consult with others around and certainly didn't consult with God. And so signed a treaty saying that they would never go to war with the people of Gibeah. Within a matter of just a few days, Joshua and the army approached Gibeah and was about to attack, but the people of Gibeah came out with the signed treaty saying to Joshua, you cannot attack us for you signed a treaty of peace. It's a fascinating story because what the people of Gibeah did is this, is they realized that they could not fight against and defeat Joshua's army. And so what they decided to do was neutralize the threat. They neutralized the threat of the oncoming army of Joshua by tricking him into signing a treaty. It's interesting when you think about neutralizing the effectiveness of things. Several years ago in Honduras, there was a, a, a crazy storm that ravished the country. 
Later pictures showed an image of a bridge in Honduras that at one time took traffic from one side of the river to the other side of the river. But the storm was so great that what the storm did is it changed the course of the river. So now the river ran around the opposite side of the bridge so that now the bridge was ineffective. I wonder in what areas of your life in leadership and influence have you and your influence, has, has it been neutralized? I wonder if even if you have the skills of a wise leader, if maybe the situation of the Honduras bridge has come into play in that the storms of life, seasons change, society changes. And the reality is this, is that in the year that we are living in now, the questions that people are asking, the issues that people are facing, current affair issues are very different to two, five, and 10 years ago. And sometimes we can have the leadership tools that were effective for another time, but are ineffective now. It's like having a fully functioning bridge, but it's not taking people where they want to go. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 27. It says this, Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. And the reason I love that verse is because it's the addition of those many one things that make up the whole. So my prayer is through these top leadership tips that the addition of these 10 top tips will help you as a leader to become more effective. So here we go. Top tip number one for leadership is this. Leadership is about permission. I love 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. In that verse, Paul says to a young preacher, a young pastor called Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example in faith, in speech, in purity, in life. I got to admit, many years ago, as a young pastor, when I was now full-time in Christian service, whatever that means, as a pastor, I remember my first day going to the office and setting up the office, and the office looked fantastic. But to be honest, I didn't really know then what to do. And so for about two years, I read the book of 1 Timothy because it was from an older pastor leader called Paul, inspiring and speaking to a younger pastor in ministry, Timothy. He says, don't let anyone look on you, down on you because you're young, but set an example. And for many, many years as a youth communicator, I would speak on setting an example. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. The younger you are, the better that you can be uh, at setting an example in faith, in speech, in purity, in love. And for a long time, it felt like I've missed the point of the passage, 1 Timothy 4.12. Because the first two words in that verse are key. The older pastor says to the younger man, don't let 
anyone look down on you because you are young. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you feel unable, if you feel unworthy, if you feel unqualified, if you feel intimidated, it's not because the way of the way other people are treating you, but it's the way you have given your permission for people to make you feel. Listen to these words again. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. In other words, leadership is about permission. Timothy, if you feel intimidated, it's because you have given permission for other people to intimidate you. You have let it happen. And I want to ask you this question right now, leader, is where have you given your permission? What have you let happen in your life as a leadership? Because your life is not the sum of what's happened to you. Rather, your life is the sum of the permissions that you have given for things to affect you. Leadership is about permission. And right now, leaders, I want to encourage you to rethink leadership in the light of what do I let happen? If you're leading a church, what culture have I let appear and rise up in the life of our church? If you're a leader in business, what have I allowed to have the influence over my life? Where have I given my permissions? So top tip number one, leadership is about permission. My second top tip for leadership is this. I've got to be me. The reality is this, is that you make a fantastic you, but you make a poor version of me. You have to be you. The challenge that we have with the social media world is this, is that we see people take a snapshot, an image of the best moments of their day and or life, and inadvertently, we end up with a culture of comparison. But the thing about leadership is this, is that as a leader, you have to learn to be confident in your own skin and realize and recognize that God made you to be you. The first time I ever preached a sermon, did a Bible talk, I was 15 years of age, I was in school, and my maths teacher asked me to share at the school chapel service. I said yes. Have you ever said something and instantly regretted it? Well, that was certainly me. I regretted that I'd said I would speak at this chapel service. I remember over many weeks sweating over what I should say and shouldn't say. And then one day I had a tape cassette. I wonder if you remember tape cassettes. And I remember listening to somebody who preached a fantastic 10-minute sermon. And I thought, that's what I need to do. And so I played these 10 minutes over and over, rewound, play, rewound, play. And I wrote it down word for word. So when it came time for me to speak as a 15-year-old in front of my school, I stood up and I read it out word for word. The trouble was this, is that I was so silly that I didn't take out the line that said these words. In 1969, I was in Chicago 
driving the Buick down the main highway downtown. And at that point, everybody knew that I had completely faked the whole thing. You see, I had to learn this lesson as a 15-year-old that I can only be me. Copying doesn't help. I remember as a full-time youth pastor going to Ireland for the first time. I did a week of schools work and then was speaking at a big youth event on the Friday night. All week, the people who were running that week of mission were saying, oh, Glenn, the last time that we had this event, the last time we had this amazing speaker, it was incredible. The time before that, we had this incredible world-renowned youth communicator, and they kept telling me the history of amazing speakers they had. And then they said these words, but we just want you to be you. I honestly felt so intimidated. I got up on that Friday night to speak at that event, and it was terrible. I thought I had to be a version of this other speaker and that other person. And to be honest, that night was one of the loneliest nights I've ever had trying to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. About two months later, having now gone home from what was a very failed attempt to communicate to young people, the people in Ireland phoned me again and they said, we'd like you to come back and speak at another event. And I said, why? And they honestly said this. They said, well, we just figured you had a bad night the last time you were with us. And they weren't kidding. I said, yeah, I'll come back. And then instantly regretted it. I remember the day that I was due to fly back to Ireland for my second time speaking at this event and doing this schools week. Just before I got on the plane, a friend texted me. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. And it says this, the gift makes way for the giver and ushers them into the presence of the great. He said, I don't know if that means anything to you right now, but of course it did. I had to realize that I've got to be me, that God has put a unique gift in me in the same way that God has put a unique gift in you. That when doors of opportunity open up for you, The way to make the most of that opportunity, that moment, is not to try now to compare yourself and be like someone else, but to remain confident in who you are. I've just got to be me. That second time in Ireland, communicating with a rowdy room of teenagers was certainly a much better experience because I was no longer trying to be somewhere else, someone else. I just had to be me. Leadership tip number two, I've got to be me. My mother-in-law once said to me this, there's a three-rule motto for life. Rule number one, turn up. Rule number two, do your best. And rule number three, walk away. You've just got to be you. My third top tip for leadership is this, I'm the leader. And in your context, you're the leader. In other words, leadership is about me. Now, top tip number two was this. I've got to be me. I've got to be myself. But top tip number three is that I'm the leader. Let me explain what I mean. I remember a moment when uh, there was a transition of leadership in a ministry that I was a part of, and it went from me being the associate or the assistant in this ministry to now I was the leader. 
And I remember the first meeting. There was lots of people gathered. There was lots of production rig and creativity, etc. But during the meeting, things were going badly. I began to look around thinking, who's going to fix this? Who's going to do something about this? And then I realized, oh, I'm the leader. And there are times when the real leader has to stand up to bring change, to do something, to implement something as a catalyst that sees things go from difficult to good, bad to excellent. The leader is the influencer. And truly, it's in moments of difficulty that it's then that you actually begin to see who are the real leaders in the room. In the book of Ezekiel, there's this fascinating verse where it says, they looked for one who would stand in the gap and breach the wall. Stand in the gap of the wall. It's a brilliant verse in the Bible because the image that it conveys is this, the image of of a great walled city and this walled city is being attacked by an enemy and now there is a gap in the wall. The defenders of the city knew this, that with the, the breach, the gap in the wall, one man could stand in the gap with a shield and a sword and one man alone could defend a city against an invading army, looking for one who would stand in the gap. And leader, I want to say this to you, that in moments of challenge and difficulty, leadership is you. You are the leader. That's the time to stand. That's the time to rise and recognize that leadership has been placed upon your life. The fourth thing is this, is you've got to know your tribe. What do I mean by that? Well, I think it's fascinating that when we look at the beginning of the Bible, we see that God created Adam, the perfect man in a perfect world where there was no sin, there was no pain, there was no hardship, there was no difficulty, nothing like that. And the Bible says that every day God would come into the garden of Eden and walk and talk with Adam. But the Bible says that God brought before Adam all the animals and Adam named all of the animals. And what a fantastic, fascinating process that would have been. But at the end of that time, the Bible says God looked at the perfect man in a perfect world and said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. Now get this point. He wasn't alone because he had God. And sometimes in theology, we say things like, God, all I need is you. But the reality is this, friend. You weren't created by God just to need God. You were also created by God for community. And so in a perfect world, a perfect life, God said, Adam, you're alone. I'm going to create for you Eve. And the first family was born in that moment. And ever since then, you and I were hardwired for community. You and I were hardwired to do life with other people, to be in community. I call it knowing your tribe, knowing who's with you in this life. 
Who is it that you are like-minded with? What is that faith community, that business community like? Because the Bible says that when two and three are gathered and two or three agree together, then it is incredible what can take place in that moment. And so I ask you this question, who's your tribe? Who are you doing life with? Who is helping you become the better version of you? Because when you know your tribe, when you identify with them, and when you begin to walk with them in agreement, it is amazing to see how influence increases in your life because now you're not alone. You're not a lone ranger. You know your tribe. I would suggest that when it comes to church, church is a tribe. Of course, all around the world, there are many millions of churches and every church is unique in that it has its own personality and culture and way of doing things. But we hold fast to one book, the Bible. And even right now in your church, there is a small group who can become a close-knit community, your tribe, that in your tribe, you begin to fulfill the vision of the kingdom of God for your life and for the wider community as well. Top tip number four, know your tribe. And the last top tip for this podcast session right now is this, is recognize that faith is not for heroes. And so the history, the hall of fame, the heroes of faith go on and on through Hebrews chapter 11. But you know something, even when we look into church history, we see many heroes. People like Tertullian, one of the early church fathers in the second century. Tertullian grappled with the idea of God, having read scriptures, kind of confused on how can God can be three and one and one and three. God is one, but he represents himself in three ways as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it was Tertullian who first invented the word Trinity to give us the best definition of God that we could understand the community of God. We read that in 580 AD, Maximus the Confessor, what a hero he was in the church. He grappled with the concept of something called the hypostatic union, the idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. And because of his life and learning, he is certainly looked at as a hero. Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, was involved in translating the Bible into a language that the common man and woman could understand. What a hero he was. He actually died in 1384. The religious leaders were so annoyed by him that in 1428, they dug up his bones and burnt his bones. They were that angry, but it's because of Wycliffe that we have our Bibles. Of course, we have Martin Luther, who nailed the 95 Theses on a church door in Germany that brought about the Reformation. We have people like John Wesley. They say that John Wesley wrote 233 books while riding on the back of a horse. They say that he trained 11,000 preachers, that he preached over 50,000 sermons, and that a third of the nation became Christians as a result of his ministry. Heroes of the faith. But then you look and you realize that the list in Hebrews 11, they weren't heroes. They were just normal. 
Abel was a farmer. Enoch was a dad. Moses was a drunk. Abraham was a liar. David was a murderer. And so the list goes on. We think about church history. Tertullian was very, very ordinary like you and I. They reckon that his staple diet of cheese and wine meant that he was so obese as an academic that they had to cut out a U-bend in the table so that his belly could slide under the table. Maximus the Confessor, he was a rebel. John Wycliffe, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you don't get more ordinary than him. He was born in Yorkshire. And I can say that because my kids were born in Yorkshire too. Martin Luther brought about the Reformation, but in exams he was 30th out of 57 and was prone to bouts of manic depression. John Wesley was the son of an alcoholic minister, and in himself he had an affair while being a missionary in the United States, and it was only while he was sailing back from his mission endeavors that he met some German missionaries, and he himself knew that he did not have relationship with God and also became a Christian. What am I saying? I'm saying this finally, friends, that faith is not for heroes. Faith is for the liar the prostitute, the dysfunctional, the hurting, the average, the excellent. Faith is for those of us who choose to put our trust and faith in God above. First five leadership tips. Leadership is about permission. I've got to be me. I'm the leader. Know your tribe. And faith is not for heroes. Looking forward to being with you next time as we look at part two in top 10 leadership tips. Thank you for listening to this Glenn Barrett Leadership Podcast. For more information, visit us online at audaciouschurch.com.